Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Hi friends, I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 4, and in just a moment we will read verses 32 through 35, and we are continuing on in our series, Hope Rising, where we are looking at how God brings hope into our lives as individuals and as a community. And so I want us to begin this morning by reading together from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. The company of those who believed had one heart and soul. Nobody said that they owned their property. Instead, they had everything in common. The apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great power and great grace was upon all of them. For there was no needy person among them since any who possessed lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale and placed it at the feet of the apostles who then gave to each according to their need. So I started working in churches in 2008. That was when I got out of school. And one of the first things that I did when I was in a United Methodist Church at the time is I was sent to this thing called a New Church Leadership Academy where they were talking to men and women about the possibility of planting churches. Now, planting a church is a very different animal from coming into a church that's 203 years old. It is hard, grueling work. And over the course of this year of the New Church Leadership Academy, I was able to sit down with uh, uh, about 10 other people, and we met with different church planters who had had success in planting and building new communities in various cities across the state of Georgia. And I will never forget one day in particular, we were sitting with a church planter out of Gwinnett County, and he was this incredible guy, and his church had gone from zero to, you know, 700 people, and it was thriving, and it was vibrant, and this gentleman on this day walked us through all of the steps that he had taken and all of the processes that God had led them through uh, in order to have this vibrant, growing, thriving church. And then there came a moment at the end of our time together where he stopped, and I remember his name, although I'm not going to tell you, he stopped and he said, hey, look, I just want to give you an opportunity to ask me any question that you might have. And people began going around the room, and one woman in particular, she asked this gentleman, she said, uh, I've got a question. What is the most difficult thing about working in a church? And his answer was great. He looked at her and he very seriously, uh, but with a little bit of a smile on his face, he said, uh, working in a church is a lot like eating trail mix. And I stopped and I thought, what in the world is he talking about? Working in a church is a lot like eating trail mix. 
And then he said this. He said, it's a lot like eating trail mix because inside of the church you get every nut, flake, and fruit imaginable. And yet, I still love it. Working in a church, he said, you can get every fruit, flake, and nut imaginable. And yet, he loved it. He was talking about a new church plant, but what I would probably say to you on this day is that it is true of all churches that working in this dynamic reality of church, we encounter all sorts of different people. And yet, we still love being together. We still love being in community with each other. I mean, let's not play games, friends. Being part of a church can be difficult, Because we can be difficult. Being a part of a community can be difficult because we as human beings, you and I, can be difficult. And yet, it is worth it. And it is good. And it is right. And we read the story today from Acts chapter 4 where we read about the early church. And it is one of those revolutionary passages about how the early church was this incredibly different alternative community, that they were of one heart and they were of one mind, that they shared everything they had in common with each other. There's this radical passage where we read that those who joined, they sold everything they had and they brought it to the feet of the apostles who distributed it then to those who were in need. And in this incredible passage in Acts chapter four, we read that there was no needy person among them because they shared what they had. And let's be real, this is a story that for us living in the 21st century, we just don't know what to do with it. This is a story that sounds strange to 21st century ears, to to people, me and you, who were raised with free market economic policy and a capitalistic market which is good and I think one of the most beautiful ways of living in this world. A story like Acts chapter 4 We just don't know what to do with it. We tend to think, man, okay, these people must have been communists or socialists, or I had someone tell me once, man, these these early church, they were like hippies. I'll never forget going to one of my earliest Fish concerts. If you're not familiar with the band Fish, think about the Grateful Dead, long, long jam band concerts filled with people that are living an alternative lifestyle. And I was walking around the fish concert with a couple friends of mine, and uh, they were people all around us. There were people all around us. Some of them were giving out free water. Others were giving out free drinks. I saw one guy who was just making grilled cheese sandwiches, and you tell him what you wanted on your sandwich, and he would make it for you and give it to you for free as a gesture of love, man. And one of my friends looked at me and he said, hey, Will, you're in seminary. Is this what the early church was like? To which I laughed and I said, no, no, actually it wasn't. And yet when we read this story in Acts chapter four, it just rings strange to our ears. And I want to remind you that while it might be strange to us, Aristotle, for example, in the Greek tradition talks about the necessity of sharing amongst your friends 
There was another community around the time of Jesus, the Essenes, and they lived in this mountain retreat at Qumran. And one of the requirements of being a part of the Essenes is that you sold all your possessions and you held them in common community. So while it might be strange to us, it wasn't strange to people in the ancient world. And we can really get hung up if we're not careful on these details of selling everything and giving everything away. And when we do that, friends, what I want to say to you this morning is that when we do that, when we get caught up on these huge, strange details, then we lose the true significance of this story. That when Luke, who, the guy who wrote the book of Acts, when he says there was no needy person among them, he's actually drawing on an ancient story. He's drawing on the hope of God from years, thousands of years ago. And so for just a moment, I want us to think as Luke's audience would have thought. I want us to think as Luke would have thought as he was writing this story and as the early apostles would have believed as they were living in this dynamic new reality. There was no needy person among them. That was a hope of God going all the way back to the beginning. For those of us that aren't familiar with the story, the Israelites were God's chosen people. And there came a time where they were slaves in Egypt and Moses, called by God, goes and he leads the Israelites out of Egypt and into freedom. And they reach this moment in the story of their wilderness wanderings. As they leave Egypt, they wander the desert for 40 years. And then finally, finally, the Israelites see the promised land. They see a land that is flowing with milk and honey and it is good. And God says, that's going to be yours. But Moses, the man who led the Israelites out of slavery, he's told, you don't get to go in. You're going to die before your people go in to the promised land. And in the Old Testament, there's this book called Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is basically Moses' swan song. It's the final speech of Moses, his hopes and his dreams, the hopes and dreams of God for this new alternative community. How are they going to live how are they going to look different than the world that is around them? Because they were called to be the light of the world. They were called by God to be a kingdom of priests that shows the world just how good God is. And in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses in his final speech is laying out for them God's dream and God's vision. And in Deuteronomy chapter 15, there's this incredible section that talks about debt, that talks about the forgiveness of debt, that talks about how in this new community, people will live with a sense of forgiveness and generosity. Deuteronomy chapter 15, go and read it. It is some of the most revolutionary stuff in the whole of the Bible. But in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, there is this incredible, 
incredible statement of Moses. It's a statement that Moses believes God is sharing with these people. This is how I want you to live. This is who I want you to be. If you will be a people of grace and kindness, forgiveness and love, then in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse four, we read that God says to the people, there will be no needy person among you because the Lord is sure to bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. God says that I will form this community and you will be filled with grace and you will be filled with love and you will be filled with compassion and there will be no needy person because you will be there for each other and you will take care of each other. It was the hope of God from the very beginning. And when we read in Acts chapter four that in this new community of people who are following the resurrected Jesus, that there was no needy person among them, friends, for those Israelites, the bell would have rung in their mind and they would have immediately thought about Deuteronomy and Moses. They would have immediately thought about the dream. There was no needy person among them. And those earliest followers of Jesus would believe that this hope of God, this dream of a new community that shows the world just how good God is, it has been realized in and through Jesus. Do not get hung up on the ways we don't understand this story. Instead, I want you to understand what are the true implications. That this story in Acts is proclaiming to the world that there is in fact a community of God that is living with generosity and grace and peace. There is a community who is fulfilling the hopes and dreams of God for his good world and they exist today and they exist right now. There is no needy person among them because they shared and they were generous, and they were kind. They were of one mind and soul. They were of one heart and of one spirit. Gosh, do you know how insane that sounds? And yet it is a reality because God had always said it would be. And what is really interesting about this story is that when you contrast this new community Stationed in Jerusalem, remind you, the earliest church, they're right there in Jerusalem in the center, just a couple of miles away from the temple. The temple where for good Jews, heaven and earth came together. For good Jews, the temple, this place where God lived where God's dream surely would be fulfilled. And yet in the temple in the time of Jesus, the Sadducees, the religious elite, the religious aristocracy, their wealth continuing to increase, their power continuing to increase, their, their coziness with the Romans continuing to increase while the majority of the Jews lived in poverty 
lived in violence, lived under the oppressive thumb of the Roman Empire. And so we have these two stories, one of the temple and its establishment and another of this revolutionary community founded by the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And one of them is living into the hope of Deuteronomy, that there will be no needy among them. This, my friends, is a story about community. This is a story about belonging to something that is bigger and better than yourself. And they shared all things in common and they lived in great relationship with each other. And they were of one mind and of one spirit, of one mind and one heart, some translations say. And it is fascinating to me that that phrase, one mind, one heart, we hear it time and time again throughout the whole of the New Testament. Paul in two really important different places in the book of uh, Ephesians and in the book of Philippians, as he's instructing churches, how will they live? How will they go about their lives trying to follow Jesus in a hostile environment? He spends a great deal of time saying to them, the way you will pull this off, the way you will model an alternative community to the world is that you will be of one mind and you will be of one heart. And in the book of Philippians in particular, he, when he tells them you will be of one heart, you will be of one mind, he then breaks out into this incredible song and he says you will do so by taking on the mind of Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be comprehended or exploited. And so he took on the form of a human. He took on the form of a servant and he became obedient, obedient even unto death. But God raised this Jesus from the dead and so now at his name every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on the earth, above the earth and under the earth every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You will be one in heart and mind and spirit because you understand that we are radically connected to each other through Jesus Christ the unity of the church is this incredible concept that models a different way in the world, that talks about selflessness in a world filled with selfishness. It talks about being concerned for other human beings in a culture then and now that most often tended to be concerned with self. They were of one heart, and they were of one mind. Because there is, as Paul says in the letter to the church at Ephesus, there's one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we, an alternative community, living into the hope and the promises of God. And part of what that means is that we are of one heart and we are of one mind. And for some people, I think what that means is that they assume there's never any disagreement, that there's never any debate, there's never any conversation of disagreement. And I want to say to you that that isn't true. That any healthy community, any healthy dialogue, there will be moments of disagreement. But instead, to be of one heart, 
to be of one mind. What that truly means, and I love this quote from a, a scholar that I deeply love. He says that being of one heart and one soul, it seems to mean not just agreeing on disputed matters, but also being ready to regard each other's needs as one's own needs. We will disagree, and yet we will remain united. And we will be united because we will look out at our brothers and our sisters, and we will see that their needs are our needs, that their pains are our pains, that their joys are our joys and we will share this life together because we understand one mind, one heart, that as Jesus gave everything for us, as Jesus gave his life on the cross for you and for me, so we are now called to give our lives for each other to share in this radical thing that is known as community. I got to tell you, friends, having been here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta for now over four years, one of the things that I deeply, deeply love about this place and these people is that, friends, we get it. We understand that the call to live in community with each other far transcends just one day of the week. Now, we're not, we don't get it perfect. No church ever has, and this side of Jesus coming back, no church ever will. But I believe we, deep down in the depths of our DNA, believe that we are at our best when we share our lives together. I could give you 10,000 examples of how this plays out. I mean, just last week, I got a phone call. It was a phone call from a church member who calls me and they said, Will, this person down the road who is also a member of our church, they've get fallen onto hard times and they're, they're in a bit of a predicament and they need some help and they need some people in, in particular to come and help and do some projects around the house. And as Ken Nugent, the attorney in Atlanta, likes to say, one call and that was all. I hung up the phone and I called one other person in particular, and two hours later, there was a team of men coming to help and work and do this incredible thing because we understand that we are of one heart and we are of one mind. And there's no needy person among them because they understand community. And sometimes it's big things like that, but other times is walking in on a Sunday afternoon and sharing and taking part in a baby shower for a member of the church that's about to have their first child. And we get to share in the joy of that moment as these two incredible human beings are preparing to welcome someone, not only into their life, but into our life as well. They shared all things together. And what I want us to understand, what I deeply want us to understand, and I want people who are watching online and on television today, I'm talking to you. For those of you who have written the church off, 
who have had such a terrible experience and you've said, I've, I'm done with this church thing. I want you to know that deep down in the depths of our bones, please understand this, friends, that the church, it is not a place that the church is not simply an event. It's not just what happens in here on Sunday morning, but the church is a community of people that are radically connected to each other through Jesus Christ. We are a radically connected community and our lives are better because we share. We share our hearts we share our joys. We share our sorrows. And there was no needy person among them. And they shared everything that they had. You know, this call for community, the sort of community that we read about in Acts chapter 4, it is more important now, I think, than it has ever been. I just finished up a book a few months ago called Morality by a guy named Jonathan Sachs. I mentioned this book to you before. Sachs, the former chief rabbi in Great Britain. And I'm not gonna go into huge detail, but one of the primary themes throughout the course of this book is that the breakdown of morality in our culture can, can in large part be tied back to this moment in the 1960s when we as a culture in the West, the United Kingdom, and the United States in particular, we made this climactic shift, Sachs says, where we went from a culture of we to a culture of I. From a culture of we can do this together to a culture of I can do what I want. And the impact of that shift, and we see it every single day of our lives as civic participation just nosedives, as church membership just nosedives, as all sorts of communal activities fall apart right before our eyes, the shift from we to me, Jonathan Sachs says, has had absolutely devastating effects. <laughs> Depression higher than it's ever been. Addiction rates soaring in the United States. There's a breakdown in family life in the traditional definitions of family and they're broken down and shredded apart. And this movement from we to me, ultimately, Sachs says, leads us to loneliness. And people now more than ever Ever are searching, are striving, are dreaming of something that is bigger than them. Because what Sachs says and what I believe Jesus would absolutely affirm is that in order to find who you truly are, you have to belong to something bigger than you. The paradox is that in order to find out who you truly are, you need to belong to something bigger than yourself. We were created for community and the early church understood that the hope of God is that we would be there for each other in all times and in all places. And the church has an incredible opportunity in this moment, now more than ever, to model an alternative way to model an alternative hope that says we is better than me. 
And we are not self-centered and selfish, but we are self-giving and loving. We are created for community. And there is no needy person among them. How do we pull that off? How do we model an alternative witness for the world? That's really the question then, and it's the question now. And Luke, in Acts chapter 4, gives us the answer when he says that they continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great power. They continued to hold at the center of their existence this bold proclamation that Jesus Christ, the crucified Lord, was resurrected on the third day, and he is now ruling over all creation, up to, and most importantly, including their common life. So how will we be an alternative community? We keep focused on Jesus. We keep centered on his death and resurrection. And so that, my friends, is what I want us to do now to enter into a time where we will share his body and his blood, where we will focus and center our life together on Jesus. And so if you're watching online or on television and you aren't a follower of Christ, what I wanna do is just briefly tell you that this story, this reality, this Jesus that we follow, what we believe is that he gave his all for us. He gave his body He gave his blood. He died the death that we deserved. And he was resurrected on the third day. And God once and for all declared to us that love conquers hate and death conquers life. God said in no uncertain terms that because of Jesus and his faithfulness, we are loved. We love because he first loved us. And we celebrate that fact that Jesus loves us by sharing a meal together. And so everyone who's watching online today, I wanna invite you, if you believe that in your heart, if you earnestly repent of your sin in your life and you seek to live in this community with each other and with God, then I wanna invite you to the table of the Lord right now. And so if you will, take your bread and I'll lead you through the tradition as it has been passed on to me and all those who have come before us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in the upper room, this community, and he shared with them this incredible meal, a Passover feast. And after this meal was over, the Passover symbolizing God's leading the Israelites from slavery into freedom, Jesus stands up and he says to the Israelites, when he says to his apostles, he takes new bread. And he holds it up before them and he said, this bread symbolizing your movement from slavery into freedom, it now symbolizes a new movement, a new community. And this is no longer just bread, but it is now my body, which is broken for you and for many. So take it and eat it. My friends, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, after he had done so with the bread, then Jesus took a cup of wine and he held it up before his disciples and the, the, the blood the, in the Old Testament story of Exodus symbolizing the lamb's blood, the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb. Jesus says, 
to his disciples and Jesus says to us that this is no longer just wine, but it takes on new meaning. For this is now my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. My friends, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink. And after they had shared a meal, they went out and they lived this incredible new reality as a community together. And that is what we are called to do. And so I wonder, are you willing to step into the fullness of God's dream from Deuteronomy to now that we would model a better way? Let's be the church. Let's take a moment now, my friends. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this morning. We are grateful for the opportunity to celebrate you to celebrate your body broken and your blood poured out for us. God, we are grateful. Today, we are most grateful above all things, not only for your son, Jesus, but God, also for this place that we call home, for these people that we call family, for this dynamic reality of church. God, for my friends who are watching today online or on television, for those that can't be here in the room with us, help them to know that they are loved, by you and they are loved by us. God, for others who are watching today, maybe they've been burned by the church. Maybe they've been mistreated by this community of believers, by a church somewhere at some time. And God, today, my prayer for them is that they would see your love. God, your love never fails. And this community is called to be that sort of love. So God, for my friends who have been burned today, God, open their hearts so that they might give this thing, this beautiful reality of church, may they give it another chance. May they give it another opportunity in their lives to be a compelling force for goodness. God, today, help us to celebrate this gift, this gift of community. And in this place, May there never be those who are needy because we care and we love for each other. God, may there never be those who are needy because you gave your all for us so we may give to each other. Lord, continue to be with us as we worship. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.